I want to thank everyone who filled in for me speaking and leading worship. It's good to know that the five weeks since I've been up here. All right. We've been working through... Um, what are we doing? Oh, the Samaritan woman. Yeah, the woman at the well. That's the, We've been working through that story. Uh, and so um, I'm going to start reading a little bit. We're going to chat and we're going to read and we're going to chat. So I'm going to pray and we'll get into it. God, I want to thank you for being our God. I want to thank you that um, you love us. God, I know that we bring all kinds of stuff into this place this morning. I know that, that um, life kind of grabs hold of us sometimes and wrestles us to the ground. But, but we know that we can look to you and that you are our help. You are our strength. You are our strong tower that can lift us up out of that. And so, God, I pray that you would open our ears and open our eyes this morning to your word. I pray, Lord, even more so that you would open our hearts, that it would sink in and do the work that only your word can do. And, God, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth... The meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Now, we looked at this the last time we got together, this whole idea about worshiping in spirit and truth. And Jesus, he's laying down some really heavy stuff on this woman who must be just like kind of going, huh? And, and he just goes into this idea, this whole different idea of worship, that worship is about about. God changing our very essence, our very souls. And, and, and by doing that, this reaches out to God and, and as we become disciples. And Jesus says, listen, if, 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 you, if you obey me, you will know the truth and that truth will set, set you free. If you, be, if you are my disciple, if you become my students, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so Jesus is just kind of laying all this heavy stuff on this woman. And she's got to be looking a little bit confused. And she's got to be like, I've had a lot of time to study over this. And I'm sure many of you have read through that. And we had a lot of time to kind of think about what that might mean. This woman just gets this dumped on her at the well, minding her own business. She's just out trying to get some water. And Jesus is like, whoa, take that. And so, and so she's got to be just kind of thinking about this a little bit. And she will, she will say a very interesting statement at the end of this. And then, so will Jesus. Listen to her response. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so this woman, she's getting all this stuff about worshiping a spirit and truth. You're not going to worship on this mountain. You're not going to worship in Jerusalem. And oh yeah, you've had five husbands and you have living water and all of this stuff. And she's just got to be like, okay, you know what? Messiah is going to come one day and he's going to explain all of this stuff and, and we're going to understand it. Now, the, the word um, for Messiah in the Samaritan language is Tahib. Say Tahib. Tahib, and it's a very different idea of Messiah than what the Jews would believe. The Jews believe that the Messiah would come from David's line. The Samaritans did not believe that. They believed that the Messiah would be someone like a prophet or a teacher, someone in the, in the line of Moses. Okay, and so so the Tahib, um, he would be one who would restore. In fact, the word Tahib, it, uh, its translation is restorer. 
restore her, restore, to restore, okay? And so it's kind of different from what the Jews would believe. And so Jesus works within her definition, within her knowledge, her, within her understanding of who the Messiah is. And he will say to her, yeah, the, the person that's talking to you, I'm the Messiah. Now, this has got to cause a little tension in this woman. This is, this is, really, this is really a crisis point for her. I mean, I mean she, she knows that, that the Messiah is going to come. And the knows that the Messiah is going to restore everything that should be, put it back the way it is. And she understands that all things are going to be made clear when Messiah comes. And this guy, who she's just met at the well, who she's been talking to her for a little while, says that he is that person. And now this woman in this crisis, in this dilemma, she has to make a decision. She has been presented with something that you just can't ignore. And so it's, it's interesting for me that at least everyone in this room, and I would bet you more people than we, we care to think about, have come to that crossroad, have come to that point in their life. Like, you're just, you're just going along, and you're living life, and you're doing your own thing, and you know, you're, you're fighting with the wife, and you're beating on the kid. I'm sorry, I mean, you're loving on your wife, and you're loving on your children, and, and you know, you're going to your job, and things are going along, or, or maybe, you know, maybe things are falling apart for you, and you're just like, you're, you're wrestling, and you're trying really hard in life, or maybe your life is just completely out of whack, or maybe you're on the mountaintop, and you're just like, whoa, and you can hear the angels sing every morning when you get up, as your wife presents to you breakfast in bed, or your husband presents to you breakfast in bed, and your children are like, oh, Father Give us the directions for the day today, please. And so life is just so awesome, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you are presented with, by someone, somehow, with Jesus. And you have to make a decision. See, you have to make a decision at that point. And it's really basic. Will you accept or will you reject? Will you go on and continue to live your life the way you have been, whether it's way up here or way down here or somewhere in the middle? Or will you begin to enter into a relationship that can bring restoration, that can bring sanctification, that can bring reconciliation, that can bring forgiveness? I believe that there is no bigger, more important decision in our lives than we, when we are confronted with Jesus. And we have to make that decision. I remember when I was presented with that decision. And I remember the whole, the whole thing like it was just yesterday. It was almost 14 years ago. And, and I remember that feeling. And I made the decision. I said, yes. And then 14 years later, I woke up in the Grange. Imagine that. But, but, but it, was a, it was a crossroad in my life. And everything began to change. Have you ever thought? Have you ever thought about? If you said no, what kind of person would you be? Where would you be right now? How would you be? This woman has been presented with a decision. Just then, verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? 
And why are you talking to her? Now, his disciples, Jesus has been there. He's been hanging out with this woman. Uh, They've been chatting a little bit. His disciples, they come back. They see him speaking to this woman at the well. Okay? And they they come right at the very end of the conversation. And they know, being good Jews, they know that this is not normal. They know that that a man should not be talking to a woman at at a well unless he's looking for a wife. They know that no rabbi would be talking to a woman during the day out in public. This is, this is actually considered culturally immoral behavior for a rabbi. Now, rabbis had some really interesting um, ideas about men talking to women. One ancient rabbi writes this. He writes, If you spend too much time talking to a woman, including your wife, if you spend too much time talking to a woman or your wife, it's a waste of your time. Because it takes you away from the study of Torah. And anything that takes you away from the study of Torah is evil. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. And if you talk and spend too much time speaking to the woman or your wife, you can wind up in hell. So this is is the belief of the the culture that Jesus finds himself in. That, That a husband talking to his wife... He can end up in hell. I'm thinking just the opposite. If you're not talking to your wife, guys, life is going to be hell for you. But, but that's just me. I, I don't know. And, and so you, you got to wonder what Dr. Phil would say about this whole thing. And, 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 and so, so Jesus, here he is talking to this woman. Add to that she's a Samaritan. Add to that she's drawing water at the wrong time of the day. By himself, the boys would have come back and they would have been a little bit surprised. At what was going on. At what they saw. This is not normal behavior. But notice. No one asks him why. No one really questions him. Maybe they're starting to get used to the fact that Jesus. He kind of rubs against cultural norms. And maybe they start beginning to see that. He usually does it. For a good reason. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. The woman has made her decision. We see what has happened to her. She, she's just minding her own business. Every day she probably comes to this well at this time of day just to get water so she can go on and do what she needs to do for the rest of the day. She meets this guy, Jesus. They have this, this dialogue and then she leaves her water jug and she heads back into town. She just had this amazing encounter with this guy. Okay, And so it starts off a little sketchy for her. He's like, hey, give me, can I have a drink of water? She's like, huh? Oh, if you knew who I was, I'd give you living water. We kind of looked at that a few weeks ago. That just sounds sketchy, but, you know, Jesus is really cool. He's probably really smooth. He probably laid it in there and took her off guard. But, but she has this conversation, and, she, and she's a little skeptical. But then, by the end, Jesus speaks into her life. And he tells her things that no stranger would know. And then he speaks some very deep, deep words for her. And now, 
this woman, something has happened inside her. There's an excitement of maybe what could be. Her spirit is quickened. It's brought back to life. Could things really change for her? She's been divorced five times. The man she's living with is not her husband. I'm sure as a little girl, she never said that, never thought that her life would be the way it is. Could, and maybe she's thinking, can I be restored? This is Messiah. He's the one that's going to come and restore things. Can I be restored? And something inside her has begun to change. And she has hope. And she has passion. And she has excitement. Maybe she sees light at the end of the tunnel. And she leaves this water jug. And she goes back into town. It's almost like she, she had to tell somebody. She had to tell some people. Excitement. And life and purpose and restoration. Remember when Jesus said, I will give you living water. Everything that she was thinking about was, was focused on her physical needs. And now she leaves the very thing that represented those physical needs, this water jug, because something in her has changed and she runs off in excitement to tell other people. You know, as, as I read her story, I can't help but to wonder if she will fall into what many Christians fall into. You remember? Remember your first encounter with Jesus? Remember when, when you, got, you, went, you got saved or somebody led you to Christ or whatever nice evangelical term we want to throw on it? But remember your first encounter with Jesus, right? And, and, and like life just began to change and everything, everything started to taste a little better and everything started to smell a little better and, and the wine was a little redder and the beer was a little colder. Okay, I'm exaggerating. I'm sorry. It's been a while since I've been up here. But anyway, so, so, and, 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 and so but everything begins to change. And you have an excitement and you have a passion for this new relationship, this new thing that's happening in your life. And remember, remember when um, prayer just came so much easier. And remember, it was like, like God was actually listening more. Remember the days early on when you really felt forgiven. God bless you. Remember when, remember when you used to read your Bible because you just had a hunger for the word of God and not so much because you know you should read it? And remember those early days in church, right? It didn't matter how bad the worship team was. You were just like hand up. You're like, what? You can't sing, but you didn't care, man. You were just ripping it up. Or it didn't matter how crappy the sermon was. It was like the pastor was speaking right to you. Yeah, right? Remember those days? of the excitement and the passion of the relationship that you had. And you just had to tell people. And your friends and family, they would listen because you looked a little bit crazy and they were kind of worried what would happen if they told you to go away. But then, like the, the institution of religion kind of sets in, you know? And, and you, have, you have those Holy Spirit people, not people filled with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit people. You know those people that try to play the Holy Spirit? The ones that tell you what you can't do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Oh, no more rated R movies, secular music. Mm-mm-mm. You can't have beer. You can't have wine. You can't do this. You can't do this. And you need to do this, that, and the other thing. And they lump all of this stuff on you. And it's not in the context of, of good spiritual discipleship. It's just them trying to play the Holy Spirit. Like, I've been doing this for a long time, and I know better than you, so you better listen to me. And this, this, this new relationship just all of a sudden starts to go, oh. 
And then, and then you have life, right? And life starts to creep in. Listen, following Jesus doesn't make life easier. Contrary to what those people on TV want you to know, none of, God doesn't, I, I don't believe, okay. God doesn't want you all to be millionaires. I can guarantee it. Some of you can't handle it, all right? Though I prayed to God that he would give me just one shot. If I mess it up, then I'm good. I mean, I won't take another million. But, but God does not want us all to be millionaires. And so life kicks in and it pushes and it pulls. And all of a sudden, this amazing relationship that we've, we've entered into, the excitement starts to, to fade. And the passion starts to fade. And, and it, just, it just doesn't seem like it used to be when we first were introduced to Jesus. And see, there's two dangers with that. The first one is people walk away. You know, this isn't worth it. It's not what I thought it would be. And they walk away. The gospel, the gospels talk about the seed scattered. It can't take root. And it just, it just goes away. That life chokes the life out of that. Or the, or the second, the second danger is we just continue on in this, this thing that, oops, that we call Christianity. And, and we like to say that we're maturing in our faith. And all of a sudden, church is like, man, I just, I just can't get into worship today because, you know, it's just not a professional sounding band and, and, and I'm just not there. Or, you know, you're sitting there and you're, and you're thinking, this is the sign of maturity. You're sitting there thinking, oh, I am so glad she's here to hear this. She needs to hear this message right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Oh, you've been there, huh? And, 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 and prayer is just like this thing that you know you should do, and so you do it. And your quiet time is from 6 to 6.30. That's what I'm giving God. And it's so regimented. And we like to call that maturity. But I would say it's just getting old. That we haven't really matured in our... If you've lost passion and excitement and hope in, in your relationship with Jesus, you haven't matured. You just got old in your faith. And so... Can we actually mature and hold on to that passion and excitement that we once had? See, I believe we can. And here's what I want you to try from now on, every day for the rest of your life until God calls you home. And I'm dead serious about that. No pun intended. Um, every day when you get up in the morning, look at the day for what it really is at its core. It is a brand new day filled with grace and promise and purpose and potential for you in the kingdom of God to meet together. Every day is a brand new day. And see, sometimes we fall into this danger of, of just way over planning everything for tomorrow. And we got to plan and we got to plan and we got to plan. Now, listen, I, I know that we have to plan. Planning is important. But when all we do is plan, we get paralysis through analysis. And we're always thinking about tomorrow. And we may be missing the very thing that God wants to do through us, in us, around us today. And so, yeah, plan. But live your life for today. Listen, no one in this room, no one in this entire world is guaranteed any tomorrows. In fact, no one in this room is even guaranteed tonight. Plan for stuff, but live your life for God today as a brand new day full of grace and potential and excitement and purpose. 
Don't get comfortable. Comfort has a way of sucking the life right out of everything. You know, when, when, when couples get comfortable in their marriage, they wake up one morning and realize, man, we haven't talked to each other like in a week. Things just get comfortable and you stop trying and you stop interacting and the relationship just seems to be two separate people living in the same house. It's the same way with our faith. When we get comfortable in our faith, man, you may wake up one morning and realize, man, you haven't spent time with God in a week. And you just go on and you do the do and you come to church and you sing the songs and there's nothing there. Take some risks. Live out loud. Live in the newness of every day. You know, if you spend more time thinking about the past than the future, if you spend more time having this conversation, remember the good old days when we used to, and you could fill in the blank, remember how we were on fire for the Lord back then and we used to like, yeah, we, and, and, and you just wish that you can go back to that time. I would say that maybe you haven't matured so much in your faith. You just got old. Don't get old. Hold on to that passion and that excitement. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you ha- don't you have a saying? It is still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now they harvest the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." So the disciples, they urge Jesus. The woman has left. The disciples come up to him and they urge him, eat something. It would be very common for the disciples of a rabbi to take care of the rabbi's physical needs. So this is, this is nothing new. They've left Jesus at the well. Uh, they go into town. They buy the food. They bring the food back. They know he's probably hungry. He's tired. He didn't want to travel. He's thirsty. They say, rabbi, eat something. And, and in the text, you could, you could see that they're a little surprised by his answer. And in fact, the answer that he gives in the original Greek language is kind of harsh. It, it really is a harsh response to them. And it actually puts some distance between Jesus and his disciples. He says, I have food that you know nothing about. And just as Nicodemus, when Jesus said that, that you have to be born again, took it literally. And just as the woman at the well took the, the living water as literal water, the disciples take what he say, says literally. And they ask, could, could have something gave, somebody given him food? Could somebody have fed him already? And the answer is, of course, no. But they must have looked a little confused. And Jesus is now going to clarify his response. Jesus is going to explain, and he's going to open up a very deep spiritual truth. He says, my food is to do the will of him who has sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is telling his disciples that there is something that sustains him, something that nourishes him, something that gives him energy. 
And that is to do the will of God, and that is to finish God's work. Now, for the disciples being uh, brought up in the Jewish religion, they would have thought this kind of odd to hear because God finished his work already. Six days, he creates, he kicks back, he's like, yeah, that's good, and he rests. And, and, it's, and the work is done. But Jesus is talking about something very different here. Jesus is talking about his purpose that God has for him. Jesus is talking about the work that God gave Jesus to do. And in the not so distant future, Jesus is going to hang on a cross. He's going to drown in his own blood. He's going to, before he dies, he's going to say the words, it is finished. The work that God had given him. And the disciples really have no idea at this point this is coming. They have no idea what it will cost Jesus to do the work that God has given him to do. They have no idea that that Jesus is going to be killed, beaten, tortured. And this is the work of God for him, for his life. And he knows that. Jesus knows what's coming. And that work, even the, the, the gruesome death that's going to come at the end, that work is sustaining him, is nourishing him, is what causes him to get out of bed in the morning and put his feet on the ground and to travel and to walk and to love and to teach and to perform miracles. Jesus is very single-minded in what his purpose is, to finish the work that God has given him to do. And I would say that everything that Jesus has done in his life is always moving the work of God to completion. The things of God to Jesus are more important than his own basic physical human needs. Now, have you ever compared yourself to Jesus? I know that sounds like a really dumb question, but, but have you ever just like went, okay, here's Jesus. See how I'm doing. And you probably, you probably don't chalk up very well, you know, because he's Jesus and we're not. But, but listen, if, if we are moving through the sanctification process of becoming holy, becoming more Christ-like, we have to have some bar that we're going for. And so to compare ourselves to Jesus, though it may sound funny, is something that I believe Christians need to do. How are we doing in our life, both in our spiritual life and our you know, praying and, and the spiritual disciplines? And how are we loving on people? How are we, how are we interacting with the world? Have you ever compared yourself to Jesus? You know, as I wrestled with this text, I had to ask the question, how am I doing? I mean, how, are the things of God that he has for my life, are the purposes for God in my life, the things that he has called me to do, do they sustain me? Are they the things that nourish me? Are they the things that give me passion and purpose in my life? Or am I being pushed and pulled by other things? Am I looking for my sustenance somewhere else? I mean, it's an honest question. And I think if you're honest with it, most of us are getting pushed and pulled looking for our sustenance somewhere else, in something else. Okay, here's my desire. I'll be straight up with you. My desire is to be honed in, focused on, 24-7 on the things of God in my life. That's, that's, that's my desire. Is it impossible? I mean, really, is, is that even possible to be honed in on the things of God all the time in your life? 
See, I'm not talking about living perfect. I'm not talking about you being the perfect person. I'm not talking about you being a Jesus. I'm not talking about you selling your home and moving your family to Haiti. I'm not talking about moving everybody into the inner city and just living among the poor. Unless that's what God's telling you to do, then you should do it. But I'm not talking about that. But see, I believe that we can be focused 24-7 on the things that God would want for our life. I'm talking about the everyday stuff that God has called us to. I'm talking about living the work that the Father has called each one to do. I know you might be thinking like, man, you know, yeah, I'm there. But I have no idea what God wants me to do in my life. I mean, I mean I've been praying and I'm not getting any answers. Should I do this? Should I turn right? Should I turn left? I have no idea what to do. And I will say this. If you've been around church for any amount of time, if you've cracked the Bible and read it, if you've been to one Sunday school class, you know exactly what God wants you to do in your life. Let me give you some examples. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Nourish, serve them. Wives, love your husbands. And as you submit to Christ, submit to them. And the work that you do, do as though you're working for the Lord and not for human masters. Children, obey your parents. Parents, bring up your kids in the way that they should go in biblical principles. If you're in a dating relationship, God calls you, asks you, be pure in that relationship. Are you learning to do good? To seek justice, to help the oppressed, the poor and the widow and the orphan? Are you walking humbly before God? Are you using your gifts and talents and resources to build, build the kingdom of God? Listen, I'm not playing Holy Spirit man here. I'm just giving you the word of God. This is what he calls us to do. Everyone knows what we should be doing in our life. We can't sit here and say, I have no idea what God wants me to do. Yeah, we do. And man, if we can, if, if we can get a hold of these fundamental little things, I believe God will pour more and more into our life. And we will explode with kingdom fruit. We will see the kingdom of God just explode if we can just get a hold of the basics. But as I'm sure as I looked at my life, and, and if you take an honest look at yours, man, we struggle even with the basics, don't we? But that's why we need Jesus. And that's why we were given Jesus. That we can come to grips with where we're... Um, where our weaknesses are and we can call out to God and that he can do the work of cutting and removing those things and we can compare ourselves a little bit more to Jesus as we walk into this gift of sanctification, of being more holy. This is about our life making a difference. This is about our life opening doors and being able to give away the gift of God who is Jesus? This is about the footprint that you will make in this world. How will you leave it? What footprint will you make? And, 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 and Jesus, I love his words, man. It's, he's like, it's time. L listen to this. Verse 35. Jesus says this. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, this, this whole um, 
that saying, it's, 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 a, it's an ancient proverb. It's kind of like for us, it would be April showers, bring May flowers type of thing. Jesus is talking about the harvest. He's using the, the agricultural norms of the day to say, listen, to teach a spiritual truth, to say, hey, listen, it's time. The things that you're witnessing, the things that you're seeing are not the same things that you've been accustomed to. Things are beginning to change. And we need to refocus and reprioritize our life. They, he was calling the disciples to that point, And I believe he still calls his church to that place today to refocus or get focused and prioritize the things of God in our life. That those things would sustain us. That those things of God would nourish us. There's an urgency in Jesus to say, man, it is time that we would love and serve and rest and play as God has called us to. It's time that the church realize that there is the harvest is ready. And what we've been called in our life. Do we really seek things of God? Both as a church and individually. Do we really seek the things of God? Church. And, and Mark did a great job bringing it to us last week. We need to get serious about this stuff. We need, to, we need to deepen our sense of calling with obedience to the things that God has called us to. And get rid of all of the junk that's around us that is distracting us from that. That we would have food that the world would know nothing about. And with that food, we go out and we can feed a starving world. Let's pray. God, I want to confess that we have been distracted and we seek your forgiveness. God, I want to confess that we look to Sometimes the stuff in this world to sustain us. And we look for your forgiveness. God, I want to confess that that our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. And we seek your forgiveness. God, I pray that you would strengthen us, your church, to live the life that you've called us to. Just in the simple little things of the everyday and as, as we walk in that obedience, God, I pray that you would give us, pour onto us more creativity and vision and purpose that we can go out in your name and in your strength and in your power to change the world for the kingdom of God. That all would know who is the living God. That all would know Jesus. And so, Lord, as your church, we... We accept your forgiveness. God, I pray that we would walk in that forgiveness every day. But not as a license to to get pulled off course, but as saints who have been forgiven. And so God, as we leave this place, I pray that each one here would find that thing in their life and they would start to to shed uh, the junk and find the God purpose. 
and live it with passion and live it with excitement. God, I pray that we would not get old in our faith, but as we mature, we would mature as young children and stay young at heart, young in in spirit and mind. And that we would live with passion and excitement. So God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has forgiven us. He's saved us. He's reconciled us. Thank you that you love us. Amen.